I titled the message this morning, God's Gifts. God's Gifts. But before we dig into this psalm, I want to ask a question. And I, I almost want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because this is the kind of question that I want you to search deep inside of you as you seek to answer it. And that question is, how are you a righteous or a good person? How are you a righteous or a good person? How you answer that is very, very important. This psalm, as you will see, is written to those who have received the righteousness of Christ alone. The righteousness of God. You see, we cannot conjure up goodness or righteousness from within us. By comparing ourselves to others, by doing things, by exerting ourselves, by having even zeal, being zealous, that is not where a righteousness comes from. It, it falls flat. Our righteousness must be, come from God and God alone. And if we put our faith and our trust in His righteousness and we receive His righteousness on our behalf, we will spend eternity with Him. We will be recipients of God's gifts that He lists in this psalm. Now this psalm was written a thousand years before Christ was born. It was written by David. You see in Psalm 103, it says, of David. A psalm written by, to the, one, by the one to whom was promised he would have an heir that would reign on the throne forever. He believed that. We read in Acts 2 when Peter is talking to the city of Jerusalem, he says, he clearly says, David knew that his Lord, his Lord would be the one sitting on his throne forever. And so we cannot separate this psalm from the present. What we know. And what has been revealed to us in God's Word of Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. He was God who became flesh, who lived a perfect life, who bore the punishment of my sin and your sin, took God's wrath upon Himself and was raised again and is now seated on the right hand of Christ of God, the Father. And Christ is petitioning God on our behalf. And His righteousness, that perfect life He lived, is ours if we put our faith and trust in Him. So I want you to examine your hearts. I felt compelled to ask you that question as we start. Even before Pastor Jeremy preached through 
through Romans chapter 9 and 10. As I was thinking and meditating on this psalm, you see, this, this will become clear in this psalm. God's gifts are for those who fear Him. God's gifts are for those who fear Him. For those who keep His covenant and remember His commandments. Now, how do we do that? Through faith. Through faith. It's not in our works. Over and over and over again, God reveals that righteousness is found through faith by believing in God, by believing His Word, by receiving His righteousness on our behalf. It's very important that we understand that and that we challenge our hearts. Why? What makes me a righteous person? So easy to slip, isn't it? So easy to rely on what I've done, what I've conjured up, my zeal, my faith, what I have accomplished. And God says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. But we have a true righteousness through faith in Christ. Through faith in God alone. So with that, let's, let's look at the text. And it starts off in an amazing way. We know it. We've sung songs with these words over and over and over again. We know these words. But I want to draw them out for you. Let's look at it. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So what does it mean to bless the Lord? I I know I grew up thinking and relating to, I want God to bless me. So what does it, you know, and I know what that means, right? It means uh, make me happy, make me uh, successful, help me in my walk. Even help me to be obedient. Help me to follow God's commands. That's a, that's a legitimate prayer, a legitimate request to ask God to bless us. So what does it mean for us to say, bless the Lord? He has everything. He's God, eternal. He is all righteous. He, is, he has everything. He's the Creator. So how can we bless the Lord? Well, it's important to understand what this word, let's let's delve into this a little bit more. Bless means not only to to make me happy or to make God happy, but it means to adore Him. And in fact, when we ask the Lord to bless us, we're, we're saying, Lord, I want You, Your love. I need You. I need Your love. I need Your... Your, your care for me. Well, in the same way, we need to bless the Lord. We need to adore Him. We need to pour out our love for Him. And we do that. And we can do that. We should focus on that even more than we want His, 
his, him to bless us, we should be thinking about blessing him. Uh, I was challenged by this after Pastor and Jenny came back from Israel. And uh, I hadn't, I, I had just, that just perplexed me. How do I bless God? And yet, in Israel, it, it, that is a common thing. That is a, a way of life to, to bless the Lord, to speak in that manner. What a beautiful thing it would be if we could tr- transform our thinking, our practice, to focus on blessing the Lord. It would be enriching. So we, we want to adore Him, but it also involves an action taken to please. To please, to, bring, to cause to be happy. Now, how can we as sinners, miserable wretches as we are, even, even receiving God's grace and, and by faith in His righteousness, how can we make God happy? Again, I was taught by Pastor Jeremy and Luke, and maybe you'll remember, Luke fifteen seven, Jesus said these words, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So what does make God make God happy? What causes God to rejoice in heaven? God the Father rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Repents means to turn to turn away from your own self-righteousness, to turn away from your sin, to turn to Him in faith and purpose to love Him. And love means to embrace Him and to embrace His commandments and purpose to, to love Him and show Him our love for Him by obedience. The second thing Second way we bless God in our actions, we can make God happy, is right here in this, these verses. And forget not all His benefits. Forget not all His benefits. To remember over and over and over in Scripture, we are commended and encouraged and commanded to remember. Remember what God has done. In fact, God has given some stern warnings for those who don't remember. In Deuteronomy, as the people, God's people, He redeemed and brought out of Egypt. He warned them that if they would not remember the good things that He had done for them in freeing them from slavery, from feeding them in the wilderness, from giving them water in the desert, from them, their clothes and their shoes not wearing out for 40 years, all those good gifts and more. God said, if you don't remember, you will perish. You will perish like the nations in whose land I have given you. The promised land. 
God was going to use Israel to bring an end to these sinful, wicked people, these nations that inhabited the land of Canaan. And God said, you will have the same end if you will refuse to remember. If you refuse to remember. So, we bless the Lord. We want to cause Him to be happy. We want to thank Him. Another word that people often use here is we praise the Lord. You can speak it. And it starts where? In your soul. Within you. It needs to come from within. It needs to... Your, your fruit, the fruit of your expression, the fruit of your words need to start from within. What is your heart saying about God this morning? Are you blessing Him? Are you all about praising Him? It's so easy to be down and um, you know, going through difficult things. I had a day this week where I crashed. One day, I crashed. And some of you... Every day is a day like that. Every day is a fight. Every day is a struggle. Some of you are going through deep, deep things. Hard things. Some of you have sicknesses and, and pain that you've been struggling with day in and day out for years. But this is true for you too. This important command, this important rousing of your soul to rise up and give thanks and praise to God. Why? Because He's holy. Bless His holy name. Bless His holy name. His name is holy. And right from the beginning, we say, bless the Lord. See that? It's in all caps. This is Yahweh. This is Jehovah. This is the one who said to Moses, I am. I am. This is Him. His name. Specific name. It isn't... isn't it, there's no guess here to who we're talking about. This is God Almighty God the Father. And we're to bless His holy name. Holy means separate. He is separate. He is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly good. In all His ways, there is no wrong. There is complete and perfect wisdom. We're to bless His holy name. We're to bless God. Our great God, the only God we are to bless. And we are not to forget His benefits. So we have this tremendous call, my first point. I tried to make them all C's, you know. So the first one is the call. The call to remember. How we live, not just our words, but how we live can be an expression of praise and blessing to God. 
How can that be? We remember what He has done. And we're going to go through these things as given to us in this psalm. It's, going to, it's just so helpful to my soul. It's so helpful to my heart. So helpful to my life to re- remember these things on a regular basis. Just imagine what it would be like if we lived this way every moment. What, just imagine what our relationships with one another would be like if we practiced being thankful and remembering the benefits, the gifts of God, moment by moment. It would be revolutionary, wouldn't it? Instead of demanding, instead of uh, complaining, to remember. To remember God's good gifts. It would bring joy. It would bring such a peace in our lives, in, our, in the way we live. Knowing all the things we've just been studying in Romans, that God is sovereign. He is commander and chief over all. He is the creator of all. He commands all. He, everything is under His control. And to trust Him. To believe Romans 8.28. Oh, we love that verse, don't we? We love it. And it's so important that we have that promise. God gives it to us. He gave it to us in Romans. What a gift. Let's not forget it. Let's rehearse it. God's gifts just come non-stop at us. He comes down into our lives. He is intimately involved in every moment of your life. And He is working out His good. Now, I want want to just... uh, say that this psalm is really interesting because as we go through it, there's no reference to any circumstance in David's life that is going on. We don't know when he he wrote this. He might have written this. Um, The only reference to history is when he refers to the law given to Moses and being made known to his people. So that should be an encouragement to us that these words, this psalm, these promises can be claimed by us in every circumstance of our lives. Every and any circumstance we find ourselves. We should be able and willing to cling to this. These promises, to these gifts. And that, what does that stir? That stirs worship. When we're thanking God, when we're thinking of these things, when we're proclaiming praise to Him, we are worshiping. And you've heard us, even as we've um, had our, worship, our services every Sunday, singing is a part of worship. Giving is a part of worship. Preaching is a part of worship. Right? 
It's not singled out to just when the music's playing. It's all. As we do it according to God's command, it is all worship. And so when we leave this place, we continue to worship. And we all have catch ourselves, don't we? I hope, oh, I hope you do. If you slip into that mode of selfishness or anger or frustration, that's the opportunity to ask yourself, okay, who, who am I worshiping at this moment? Oh, it's me. Because things aren't going my way. I want to be God this moment. And we need to repent. At that moment, we need to repent. We need to confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Cleanse me. And help me. Guard my heart to worship you and you alone. So the call right at at the beginning, as I asked you, what is the basis for your righteousness? What is the basis for your goodness this morning? What is the basis of your righteousness as you stand before God, the Holy One? You see, it's so important that we know that we are saved. And saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, and His righteousness Look at the very first thing that we are to give thanks for is salvation. God's gift of salvation. Look at these verses. Who forgives all your iniquity. All your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who forgives all your iniquity. All your sin. All your sin God alone can deal with. And He dealt with it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives alone gives new life. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins all of us who relied and lived as we wanted. That led to death. And Christ makes alive. He regenerates. He brings new life. He alone atoned for your sin. He alone, His blood alone could cover your iniquities and wash you white as snow. He alone can redeem you. That means to purchase. He bought you with His blood, His lifeblood. He bought you. Purchased you. 
to be his own. You who were slaves to sin, he bought you and made you slaves to righteousness. He justified you. He declared you as judge. And God Almighty, He declared you not guilty. Wow. We who struggle with this thing of guilt, right? In fact, we've believed so many lies about guilt. We think guilt is a horrible thing and that we need to get rid of it. But guilt is a gift from God. He gave us a conscience and guilt is not a feeling, as you've been told. Guilt is a fact. A fact. And we are guilty before God. But what has God done? If we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who paid and ransomed us, He declares us not guilty. That's a fact. That's a fact. And so we must live by faith in that fact that we are no longer guilty. Now, when we sin, we will feel guilty again because our conscience is rejuvenated in Christ. We are made alive. And so when we sin, we will feel guilty again. But that's our, that's our, that's our tug on our shoulder to run and turn to Christ and bow and ask for forgiveness, to repent to turn from that way that would bring that guilt. There's been so many wrong teachings about this that, that we just need to ignore that guilt, that that guilt is bad, that, that we need to... Now, granted, we in our pride can say, oh, I don't deserve God's goodness. Right? We have this low self-esteem or, or low estimation of ourselves and in our pride we stiff arm God's good gifts instead of embracing his forgiveness running to him with our sin and laying it before the cross confessing it telling him what we did to bring this guilt and asking for his cleansing now, the, who heals all your diseases? You may be looking at that and going, oh, yippee. <laughs> um, let me make it clear. This is not talking about sickness. Look at the words. Who heals all your diseases? Who forgives all your iniquities? This is a statement, a parallel statement. Isaiah refers to our sin as a disease, a sickness. Why does God use that illustration, that figure of speech, to talk about sin? Because it leads to death. Not only has God committed all mankind to die because of our sin, but our sin will even hasten our death. It brings destruction, devastation, and death and ruin to lives. Not just ours, but to those around us. And God says, I will heal you. I will heal that ruined life. I will bring healing. He brings new life. He rejuvenates. 
Sometimes we can think of this as, you know, we're all guilty of sins like lying and pride and all these things that, that are common to man, but then there's those sins that, like a Jacob, they have, gra- they have grabbed your heel. And they, they keep, you keep dragging that chain along. And oh, it's such a fight to get rid and fight against that sin. God brings healing. He brings freedom from those sins. Who redeems your life from the pit. He redeemed you. He bought you. He purchased you. And the pit is referring to the grave. Does that mean that we're not going to die now? No. But it means that death is not the end of us. But in our redemption, we also will experience resurrection and glorification. Why? Because of what God has planned for us, His chosen people. He gives life. And look at this last statement. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love, that's His covenant love. That's His love of a promise. A promise that God will never go back on. A love that is secure because of who He is as our God and Father. He crowns you. It's like a coronation. He says, you are my son, my daughter. And I give you this love and this mercy. Another word for mercy here would be compassion. He he says, I love you with a love that will never let you go. And I show it by meeting you every single moment. I have compassion on you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will meet you right where you are. I will have mercy on you. Mercy denotes not getting what we deserve, right? And how true it is. As I said, guilt is stamped on our conscience because it's true. We're sinners. We are guilty before God. And yet, Jesus says, if you come to Him in faith and receive His righteousness, God declares you not guilty, which is now true. And He gives you this mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you kindness and compassion. What a beautiful, magnificent thing. What a beautiful statement, isn't it? What a gift of God this salvation is. How magnificent. So often, my own heart, I'm turned to things like, God, I hope my car starts this morning. I I hope the roads aren't icy. Will you protect me? And He does. He meets us in each of those situations. (laughs) Not always according to our dictation. Because then we would be God. 
But we ask Him, we petition Him, we ask Him for these things, and He meets us. He meets us with what is good and His definition of good. That's often where I go wrong, is that I start defining what good is. And then I become disappointed with what God has done, what God is doing, because it isn't according to my script. And I sin. I share this with you. Maybe you don't do that, but I, I want to urge you, don't, don't sin in that way, the way I have. Guard your heart against that. Trust Him that He knows you he is intimate with you and He wants to meet you exactly where you are with His good. With His good. The way He defines it. And that's what's so amazing about this psalm is what we're looking at right now is God's definition of good and what is best. And it starts off with our salvation. That's magnificent. Magnificently good. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Oh, let's look on. The next thing is satisfaction, in case you're filling out the blanks in your bulletin. Satisfaction. So salvation and satisfaction. Here's this simple statement in verse 5, the first part of verse 5. Who satisfies you with good. All of you know what it's like to look for satisfaction. Right? Even as Christians, even as believers, we can sin by looking for things, even good things that God has created, we, but we look to them for, to satisfy us. We look to our marriage to satisfy us. And boy, I'm, Laura's married to a sinner. And she struggles sometimes with me. That's no secret. Um... I was even trying to help her yesterday and did a horrible job and made her really upset with me. <laughs> but, you see, you can't look for someone to satisfy you who's a fellow sinner. They're going to let you down. You can't look to pastor to satisfy you. You can't look to your kids. Oh man, we love our kids. God, what gifts from God and what an opportunity to pour our lives into them. But we can't look to them for our satisfaction. We'll be terribly disappointed. But what a gift from God. What a good thing. We can't look to our job, our career. We can't look to all these things. He alone, God alone satisfies. He, who, who, that's God, Jehovah, who satisfies you with good. And He does that 
By giving you himself, first of all. What could be gooder? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. He is the best. He is the ultimate. He's the only one who will fill our soul. He is the only one who satisfied. I was just met thinking about communion, how we have this bread and this wine and, and the statements that Jesus said. He, he said, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. If you eat of me, you will have eternal life. We know we have to eat to, to live, right? We know we need bread. And Jesus says, eat of me. I'm the bread of life from heaven. He was referring to manna. You know, the, the Pharisees were all around him going, uh, who is this guy? We're going to tear him apart. And Jesus said, I'm the manna from heaven. Eat from me. I, manna went bad. Even on the seventh day, if you had it, had extra, or you, it, it went bad. It went sour. He said, but I will give you eternal life. Jesus took the cup. He, he, he said, this is my blood. Drink from it. This is a new covenant. My righteousness is now yours. It's not found in the law. It's yours. My righteousness is yours. Your, my gift to you. Receive it in faith. And come and be with me. Be intimate with me the rest of eternity. Let me satisfy you. Let me fill you. Jesus told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But I have water that will give you eternal life. You'll never thirst again. He satisfies. And now I'm going to, I want to move from, from the spiritual realm of how He satisfies. He satisfies us in our physical realm, in our body, in now. He meets us. He satisfies. So many times, even physically, we're looking for satisfaction. Oh, if I just got rid of this, oh man, then I would be satisfied, right? If I could just run a mile. Run a mile. No more for this guy. Um, if I could just stay awake during the day. <laughs> what, you know, we look for all these things, and yet Jesus says He satisfies us. He satisfies us. He meets us in our life. Isn't that beautiful? He comes and He meets us. Right here, right now, every moment, every day. He meets us. He satisfies us. What is the good? I, ref I alluded to this earlier. Roman Let's look at Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He elevates himself. He brings glory to himself that we bless him and praise him as he transforms us, as he sanctifies us, as he conform, brings conformity to his son Jesus. So, when things are going really tough for you, take comfort. Take comfort. God is preparing you and me to be with Him forever. He is using these difficult times in our life to transform us, to work out His good, His definition of good. He sustains you. He sustains you. He brings sustenance. Verse 5b. And then I also got to bring up back 4b. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay, so now he's talking about physical stuff, right? The here and now. who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Let me address that for a moment. He puts this crown on you and gives you His covenant love and His compassion, right? But He also sustains you so that you can be an expression of His love and His compassion to others in every, every person in your life. So your wife... Your husband, your kids, those who you just on your last straw with. You are crowned, remember? You are crowned with His covenant love, with His mercy, with His compassion, with His kindness. So nothing else that you do should, should be anything but a reflection and a giving, a giving of that kind of love, that kind of compassion, that kind of mercy, that kind of kindness. And you can't do it on your own. It comes from Him. He sustains you to do such a thing. And then, he says this, so that your youth is renewed. That means your youth is past, folks. That means you're, you're on the downhill side like I am. We're on the downhill side. We're, we, we're staring death in the face more and more. And what does he say? He sustains you so that your youth... <laughs> So that, like we were when we were young, we will be strengthened, we will be renewed like the eagle. It's through, throughout Scripture, this, this figure in Isaiah, this figure is used to depict this renewal, this energy. How can we have energy when we're weak? Isn't that, 
Isn't that putting on airs? Isn't that faking it? No. No, it's, it's remembering God's good gifts. It's experiencing His loving kindness moment by moment by moment. It's rehearsing the good things that God does for you moment by moment by moment. Giving thanks to Him, remembering. And then we come to this part of, the, of this chapter where we see the character of the giver. The character of the giver. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Here's, here's His promise. Here's the realization of His love. That He is righteous and He will bring out justice. Perfect justice. It's also a declaration of His character. He is holy. He is righteous. He is judge. Jesus Christ was raised again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father so that one day He will judge heaven and earth. But He meets us as the righteous one, as the judge, when we are oppressed. Somehow I got out of order. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, let's go down to look at verse 7. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So the next point the blanks are, he's righteous yet merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. I had a Windows update this morning, and I think it, I didn't, I didn't check as thoroughly as I could, to, and obviously some slides disappeared. I'm sorry about that. Um, he is righteous, yet he is merciful and gracious. How could this be? This is the mystery of the Old Testament. How can a righteous, just God, a God who's going to judge rightly, forgive? How can that happen? This was the contemplation of the Jews, the Jewish people, and still is. They're God's chosen people, so how can He forgive? Except they do the law. This is the that the, this is the consternation of the universe. How can a righteous God forgive? He took it upon Himself. He took my sin upon Himself. He came as a man and lived that perfect life. He bore the wrath that was due me. That's how He solved this mystery. And this, this thing, this salvation, is called the mystery of God in the Scripture. The mystery of God. That He would have this plan. That He would come and die for me. And grant me mercy and grace. Grace is the gift. The gift that I don't deserve. 
He gives us all His riches. He gives us all His righteousness. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. Just think of that. How could a righteous, just God be slow to anger? Why didn't He just do it? Sometimes we ask that, right? We contemplate that. What, what would happen? Wouldn't it be nice if God just put an end to this wickedness? And yet we forget, oh, wait a minute. That would be me. That would be me. God is slow to anger. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. What does that mean? It means it's a wonderful thing. God does not hold your sin against you. If He's forgiven your sin in Jesus Christ, He has forgotten it, Hebrews said. How can God forget anything? That's impossible. You're right. He will not hold it against you. He, it's as if He has forgotten it. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. And then He gives this infinite illustration. Okay, and now I think I'm caught up. There I am. He gives this amazing illustration. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. That's what God has done. What a gift. What a gift. He's removed your sin from you. He will never hold you account to it again. And when we forgive, when we forgive, that is how we are called to forgive. You don't bring it up again. It's covered. It's covered. And then he gives us this illustration of a compassionate father. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is an illustration in this psalm, but for us, in 2022, post-Christ, it's a reality. Jesus taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Brothers and sisters, we have a Father, a compassionate Father. He's ours through Jesus Christ. He shows compassion on you. He feels for you. He pours out His love to you. He meets you moment by moment wherever and whenever you are going through things. All the time. He is with you. But He calls us, here's the qualification, to those who fear Him. You must be saved. Your righteousness must be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. His righteousness must be yours. 
That's how you stand before God Almighty. That's how you claim His righteousness. That's how you go to heaven, is you, by faith, receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not your righteousness. Your righteousness is worthless, I'm sorry to tell you. I must tell you. And I'm not so sorry because this is the good news of salvation. I just, you know, we always get afraid of offending someone. And I have to, I have to confess, I, it's not easy to stand here and say, I've got to offend you. Your righteousness is good for nothing. It's good for nothing. Only your faith in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Because then you will have a Father in heaven who shows compassion on you. Who loves you as a father loves a child. And look at this. (laughs) This amazing words. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. You know, for a while, we are good, we are beautiful, we're doing great. Lasts for a very short time. The sun comes out, we wither, we die. (laughs) But he's our creator. He knows this, folks. Do you get this? Are you excited with this? God knows us. We are weak. And He's strong. And He meets you in your weakness. He became a man. He became, He put on humanity. He experienced it. He died so that we might have life through Him. It's a striking contrast with the, our transience our passing, and yet God's eternal covenant love. What an amazing thing. What an amazing comparison. God's amazing covenant eternal love and our passing and weakness, and yet He knows our frame. He meets us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Do you hear that, folks? The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness, where does His righteousness, where is your righteousness? It's from Him. You see that right here in these words. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to mishmash the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right here. His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. How are you able to do His commandments? Because you love Him. You have come to Him in faith and received His righteousness, and now you love Him more than any other thing. He is your treasure and your Lord, and you will do whatever He says. It's from a willing heart because you love Him. You know what you have received from Him. We come to this point in our psalm where creation sings praise. Creation sings praise. The first point I have here, well, the first verse 19, let's look at this. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. 
eternal sovereign. He is the eternal sovereign. His kingdom is over all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to these amazing verses in in a, a song of praise. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. He is king over all, so this means everything and everybody. Every animal, every creature, everything He has created, Bless Him. And then he ends. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Right back where he began. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So what's our response? What should be our response this morning? I want to end as I started and say, is your righteousness in Christ alone? Do you know Him? And, and if you don't, if, if you've been trusting in yourself, now's the time. Today's the day of salvation. Today you can experience, the, you can receive these gifts from God if you will put your faith and your trust alone in Jesus Christ. And then for us who call Him Father, who have received His righteousness, do you worship Him moment by moment in this way. This is our command this morning. To worship the Lord. To bless the Lord. O my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing psalm. And Lord, You know how You have used this in my own heart and my life to take me from a complaining miserable person to a person who rejoices in your goodness and your kindness. You've opened, been gracious to me and opened my eyes to my sin and, and shown me how I need to confess and repent. You brought me great joy in the multitude of your blessings day in, day out. Lord, May I live the rest of my life this way by Your grace. And Lord, would You help all of us. We are weak, and You know we are weak. Some of us are going through not a day in a week that's bad, but daily, every day is hard. Would You have compassion? Would You have mercy? Would you show your great love to them? Would you meet them right where they are as you've promised? We pray this in your precious name. Amen.